lovely husband, Chris, sitting next to her. All right, she's behind, right? So I'm going to tell your story, Sharon. I'm not going to tell as well as you would tell it, but I'm going to tell my version of your story about how yesterday came about, okay? You okay with that? Okay. All right, fantastic. So, so I'm just going to tell this quickly, the story, and you can ask them and write more stories. But long story short, yesterday we hosted about 15, 15 to 18, a group of Muslim women here at Vintage. Uh, and we had our, we had a, and we, we called a faith dialogue with them. And the idea was very simple. Vintage is not scared of Muslim people because Jesus is not scared of Muslim people. It's very simple. And we believe that the gospel is very clear. He wants every tribe, tongue, and nation to hear the good news of Jesus. And so very simply, this reality happened, I'm going to tell you about in a second, where a door was opened where they wanted to have a dialogue with us about Jesus so they could then in turn tell us about Allah and their, and their faith. All right? So I've got to tell how this happened. Again, I may butcher the story, so if you don't believe me, ask Sharon to tell her version of the story. There's great, there's pastoral license, right? Storytelling license here, right? Poetic license, as they call it. Basically, long story short, as I know the story, Sharon was praying and had, a, had been praying and seeking God, and, and God had a, gave her a dream, gave her a dream. And in this dream, she saw this woman wearing a tan outfit and had a head covering of it, whatever, right? But something that, and she recognized this woman in her dream. So the next day, she's at Publix, long story short, she turns around to apologize because it's taking a long time on the line, and that woman is standing there. And God's obviously doing something. So through, through some events, this woman is, 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 is Muslim. Sharon knows this, feels this call, right, to just begin to minister. All of a sudden, this lady asks her, hey, will you teach me how to do what you were just doing with couponing? Right? Yes, God uses coupons, right? <laughs> God, and she said, will you, because I just want to sit there, would you be willing to meet with me? So you can and teach them about couponing. And Sharon said, ding, 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 ding. Sure. <laughs> right? It's the, through this, this God-given ordained call of coupons, God opened this door for a dialogue that led to yesterday. We were able to sit down with these women and, and talk and just very clearly, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They talked about their faith and where they are. They asked questions. And by the end of the day, there were relationships that were built, phone numbers that were passed between woman and woman. Literally, I was talking to someone who said, she said, I literally looked at this woman and said, I want to continue meeting with you. Can I have your phone number? Here's mine. She's like, yes, 100%, right? And so there's just this beauty yesterday, right? I think there were 13 Bibles were picked up yesterday by those who did not have them for the purpose of reading them to learn more about this Jesus. Like, this is amazing stuff, isn't it? Now, how many of you know that there are lots of people that thought we were stupid for doing this because they knew from the news the Muslims were going to kill us? Because every Muslim is bad. Isn't that what we're told? Right? That in our culture, go listen to talk radio just for about an hour, and there comes this reality we need to fear people. And I read through my Bible, and I want you to recognize, I want you to hear me say this very clearly. One of the greatest things I ever learned in seminary was this, and it applies to every Christian. We must think theologically 
every moment of every day. What do I mean by that? I must view everything through the lens of how Jesus and Scripture defines it to be. I think theologically. And so when I look at Scripture, I recognize there's not a single person, tribe, tongue, or, tribe, tongue, or nation that Jesus was ever afraid of being with. There was no person he was ever afraid to be with. There was no people that he did not pursue so that they could know him and know Yahweh and to know God. And so yesterday was this beautiful opportunity for us to push down what our culture fears of people who were not like us, to sit down and tear down walls with those that, yes, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not unaware of this, this radical movement going on among the nations, but I also recognize that God is, is moving, drawing people and wooing them to himself no matter what their background is. And we celebrate that yesterday, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the sending of the Holy Spirit was shared with people who've never heard it before. Where a dialogue was able to be had with those who most of us never dialogue with because we only hang out with people who are just like us. And so today we celebrate what God did supernaturally, thanking God that Sharon was obedient, right? But in that, then, then these other women came alongside. We had this beautiful team of people who built relationships with those that maybe a lot of times we'd be a little unnervous around if we're completely honest. The thing that I want to begin with this morning and with that as our backdrop, is that every generation from Peter, who, who was an apostle, lived with Jesus and knew him, every generation, every generation, starting with Peter up until today, has believed that Jesus is going to return during their lifetime. Every generation. And I call that a divine setup. Because I believe that God is moving in the life of every single person to make you think that he could return tomorrow so that you would live fully for him today. That's the testimony of Scripture. That we would live our lives daily as if he could return so we don't waste our time on things that don't bring the kingdom. I don't waste my energy and my thoughts and all of my energies on things that don't apply to the movement of God's Spirit upon those who don't know Him. So we said the theme of Scripture, God wants to move supernaturally through us on behalf of those who need Him. If you've never heard that before, I apologize, because the primary theme all the way from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation... He wants to move through people. He wants to move through you. And he wants to move among those who don't know him. And every generation, every generation thinks he's returning so that God can move and say, so you'll live for me today. 
with this in mind, with this goal in mind, with Jesus as the goal of being obedient to him. So a catch up from the last few weeks, and this is going to catch you up very quickly because it's the foundation. I'm really going to say just, I'm honestly going to say one new thing this morning. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to build a bunch of other stuff and say one new thing this morning, letting you know in advance, okay? So catch up is this. Jesus is the model of how we should live our lives. We said the last two weeks, Jesus is the model. I'm not the model. Good looking Graham Cossack's not the model, right? Even with this little cute blue vest on. No, it's like, Jesus is the model. We look to him, right? How he looks, how he sounds, how he acts, his lifestyle, the way that he responded, the way that he showed compassion, the way that he loved. Jesus is the model. That's why Jesus says, keep your eyes on the prize because that's what you're moving towards and Jesus is it. He's the model. So if Jesus is our model then, we say, then what he did, what he lived, what he lived for, and how he lived, then is our model. And so, so catch up is that we all, that Jesus had a calling. Jesus had a calling to bring complete transformation in the lives of the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. That was from Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit, Jesus, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me or set me apart to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim, hey, today is the year of the Lord's favor, for those who don't, don't know Him. Right? So this is His calling. And we said this transformation that he brings happens in a physical, emotional, and a spiritual way. God doesn't just bring transformation in one area of our lives. He impacts the whole. That's the nature of what he does. He brings transformation in the whole of life where there is brokenness. Jesus was called. Jesus was called. And that calling... It then defines our lives. We are called to live lives of transformation and bringing transformation when the poor, the prisoners, blind, and the oppressed in a spiritual, physical, and emotional way. That's the call on our lives. That's the divine setup, that you would live for me today in such a way. But we said last week that in this calling, as grand as it is, and as grand as it was for Jesus, there was a season, a season of preparation. Jesus was tested in the desert, tempted and tested and tried, right? So he said preparation happened. So before he was released, there was a season of preparation and testing. Jesus was called, but there was a season, a moment of testing. Jesus was modeling for us what our lives would look like. If he experienced it, we will experience it. So the takeaway, we said last week, is very simple. Preparation is necessary for those who are called to bring transformation. And this idea of preparation, it's ongoing, isn't it? I mean, don't we all know we have not arrived? There's an ongoing process of transformation. We call it in theology world sanctification, right? But it's ongoing. God will use anything and everything in our lives to grow, mature, and to prepare us for the work of his kingdom, to do the things that he's called us to do, to answer this calling. And so he said last week in the context of this, that our lives will be, will be marked by trials, 
temptations and struggles of many kinds. James 1 said, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is no shortcut from the temptations and the trials and the struggles that occur in our life because God uses them in preparation in the model of what Jesus experienced. So the shortcut, simply said last week, the shortcut, uh, temptation number two, Satan says, hey, here are all the kingdoms of the earth. Bow them and worship them. I'll give them to you. Jesus knew he was going to get all of them. But Satan was offering them to him with a shortcut of no trials, no suffering, and no struggles in his life. It would have been power without death. Death to self. Humility. Brokenness. Right? So we see this. There's no shortcut. God uses these things to prepare you to bring transformation the same way that Jesus did. Which leads us to this morning. The next step that we see in these same scriptures is I would say there's a preparation through equipping. Preparation through equipping. Now, when I look through Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21 to chapter 4, verse 18, I'm going to read these verses. We see Luke, the writer, naming the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. So just press pause. When you read your Bible and there is a phrase that's used a lot in one short sequence, you need to stop and figure out why it's there. That's like inductive Bible study number one. You take a class at seminary and say, when you see words that are the same in a place, you stop and focus to figure out why they're there, because that's the theme of what the person's trying to speak about. So in these like 20-something verses, we read this. I want you just to read along with me on the screen. Just look along with me. Luke 3, 21, 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. And in 23 through 37 is this long genealogy. But the next thought in sequence is, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So you see that this movement of the Holy Spirit, verse 14, Jesus then returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about it spread all the whole, whole countryside. Chapter 4, verse 18, this, Jesus speaking, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. In verse 21, he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So there's this dynamic going on in the context of, of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. And the whole purpose of the scripture for Luke is to proclaim the release of Jesus into his public ministry. This is the moment where for 30 years he's been making, he's been making rocking chairs for old people. I just made that up, right? He's been doing something, woodwork, and caring for his mom and doing life. And all of a sudden, right here in the moment, everything shifts. The call of God. Ministry is beginning. And what we see is, Luke is very clear to say, the coming of the Holy Spirit as a dove is a signifying moment. And then he uses language to say, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit. Jesus had never been described like this before. 
And then it says he was tempted and then he came back in the power of the spirit. And then he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This is fulfilled in your hearing. And so there's something going on that Luke wants to paint a picture here in the context of ministry, in the context of equipping, in the context of preparation, that the Holy Spirit's movement in the life of Jesus is paramount, which simply means it's uber, super important. You can't, listen, you can't have ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus couldn't have ministry Apart from the Holy Spirit. People say, well, are you saying he didn't have the Holy Spirit before now? No, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit lived inside of him with a part of his life from, from the very moment of inception, literally. Theologians call him the unique spirit man. But something happened in the context of a release of the Holy Spirit. Something happened in the context of a of, a, of being inflamed. I don't know. I got, language is difficult here, to be completely honest with you. No one really kind of lands in the same place with this in theology world. But all we know is this. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, and in this moment, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And from that moment, there is now an empowerment and a release into ministry where then just a little bit, a few verses later, he's healing people and casting out demons. And so what we find is that in this moment, ever how we view it, there is a preparation that is happening for Jesus of, of now the Holy Spirit being released in a unique way. He had not been released before in the life of Jesus to do miracles and to be empowered for ministry. I love this. It's with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is empowered and equipped for a calling. It's with the leading of the Spirit. He's sent to the desert. The Spirit empowers him to resist temptation. And it's the Spirit that empowers him to walk out of the desert. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill the calling that was on his life to bring transformation to all those who are broken. We see this pictured in Peter. Peter talks about it. You know, you know, Luke, excuse me, Luke, Luke wrote, Luke wrote uh, the book of Acts also. Actually, some people say it's like Luke 1 and Luke 2, where it looks like the act of the Jesus and the act of the apostles, right? Kind of Luke 1, Luke 2, this full picture, right? And so he comes, and, and again, he like, if you ever read the book of Acts, he names the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit a lot, a lot, right? recognizing that human beings can't be empowered to do life and ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. Just know that. And so he comes in, and Peter is recalling, he's recalling, right, he's looking back, he's in verse 37 of Acts 10, you know, you know what has happened throughout the entire province, I had word entire, I'll take it out, throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. This is directly linked to Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring transformation, right? The two primary words here are anointing with the Holy Spirit and power. See, here's the thing I want you to recognize. In the moment, anointing 
equals calling. Okay, I want you to know some people kind of get messed up in the charismatic world. Anointing doesn't mean there's a supernatural thing upon a person. Anointing biblically means a person is plucked out, separated, and used for a divine calling. That's what anointing means. It means a separation from, for something unique. And so in that, what it's saying is he's plucked out and pulled out. He's anointed, consecrated, literally anointed means Messiah. It means the one who was called, the one who redeems, right? So he's pulled out, separated, anointed, and the Holy Spirit is upon him with power. And so what we see is the this understanding, this knowledge of the Holy Spirit is imperative. It is ultimately what was being used in the life of Jesus to bring about calling and ministry and salvation and healing and redemption in these powerful moves. This is important for us because Jesus is our model. His calling is our calling. His anointing is our anointing of being set apart for a divine purpose. He was given the Holy Spirit. He lived with the Holy Spirit and so do we. Because when you give your life to Jesus, do you not know you are baptized with the Holy Spirit? Listen, there are all sorts of people out there who have different theologies about the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all this kind of stuff. But I would say is very clear. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. And there are moments, um, there are an infinite number of moments where we have need for Jesus and the Holy Spirit is inflamed inside of us to give us the ability to be Jesus and to do ministry. We are filled again and again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? Because every day I live in need of grace. I live in need of his ability because I don't have my own. And every day he fills me with that need again and again as I have it. So as these women sat here yesterday, we sat here at 7 o'clock, a group, myself and a group of men, and we just interceded. We prayed as if our life depended on it yesterday for, for all the whole scenario that was going on. And when we prayed, we prayed for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we knew that Sharon could not speak apart from the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. The women who were here could not minister effectively apart from the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. I live every day in need of being empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, there's a, a unique supernatural release of the Holy Spirit. I don't fully understand it, but it was a, a shifting from, from old covenant to new covenant, from old life to not new life for Jesus. You know, again, it's like old life apart from the Spirit to now life with the Spirit. It's the same Spirit that now resides in you. Jesus told his disciples, Acts 1, 4 and 5, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For those of you who are just love kind of Bible knowledge, almost every theologian puts a direct link between Luke chapter 3 and 4 and Acts chapter 1 and 2. This is a foreshadowing of what now belongs to his disciples. 
foreshadowing. So when we talk about this foreshadowing, then what we land on is that we have a calling. And in that calling, we will fail miserably unless the Holy Spirit is moving, coursing through us to empower us to do the things that are far beyond our own abilities. And so then I live every day with expectation of saying, Holy Spirit, empower every step that I take so I can hear you and dream about someone in a tan outfit or whatever color it is so I can be Jesus to them today. I'm not making much of Sharon. I'm making much of Jesus. Hear that. Don't go up there and say, oh, my gosh, it's so awesome that you did that. You go, that is so awesome that Jesus loved that woman enough to let Sharon be Jesus to her. Holy Spirit moving. Luke foreshadowing. Jesus' calling is our calling. He is our model. His power is our power. Listen. So I'm going to just talk to some of you very quickly. Jesus' power is our power. The things that Jesus did in his power are the things that we do in his power. And we have theologies that limit what that actually is. They say things died a long time ago. And I just don't believe that. Because the issues that he will face then are still issues today. The brokenness, the defined brokenness then are still present today. If Jesus needed those gifts to do ministry, then so do we. The things that he did, he still wants to do. I've watched people be ca- have demons cast out of them this year. Demons didn't go anywhere, people. Does that freak you out? I'm sorry, but read the Bible and let God speak to you through it, right? Like, don't read the parts and agree with the ones you like and then cut out the ones you don't really make you uncomfortable. We have enough churches to make you feel comfortable. Stop going to them. The full gospel is this. I want Jesus to do everything through me that he did because people are dying and broken and I want to be Jesus to them. I want to cast out demons. I want to set them free from things that physically, emotionally, and spiritually bind them and keep them from being able to live a life of fullness. Jesus loves people too much to stop doing those things. We have the same power that he power he had. Which then leads us back to which then leads us back to remembering the preparation. Yes, so we're equipped, and that's beautiful, right? But how many of you know people who spend so much ta- time talking about the power that they totally miss Jesus? And people talk about power and it goes to their heads. Like people in churches who look down at other denominations because they don't have the same beliefs. Like, oh, because we're better than them. Seriously? We're not better. We have the same spirit, the same Jesus, one baptism and one Lord. And so as we sit here today, then we celebrate 
what God is doing, and we remember, we remember what we'll remember in testing, in trials, in difficulties, we face growth, and he matures us, and what does he do? He births humility inside of us. Why? So that we can actually handle the power that he gives us. Power apart from humility damages people, destroys and destroys the witness of the church. God takes us through testing to equip us. He takes us through trials to mature us. He takes us through these. And what's the point of it? It's very simple. So we recognize how small we are and how great he is. So we make much, as Jimmy's favorite phrase, to make much of Jesus. And I've just picked it up, right? To make much of Jesus and stop making so much about me. We go through testings and trials and difficulties to mature us and to grow us. So we don't shortcut to the power. How many know people who want a shortcut to the power of God? He says, yes, if you want to die, if you want to suffer and die like I did, then you will be found counted worthy. I will give this to you. I will allow you to have it move through you. How do we know Jesus is humble? Have you ever noticed how he responded in his testings? Look at who he points to. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of the Father. He goes on, worship the second, second one, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The third one, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus made much of God. He did not make much of himself. He, in fact, he said, don't go and tell anybody who I am and what I've done for you in Scripture. Don't tell anyone about me. Don't make much of me. He makes much of God. Everything, he, everything, every test he faced led him not to trust his own strength, but to humbly lean to the Father. Jesus said, I do nothing except, except that which I see my Father in heaven doing. He makes much of the Father. Humility. Our sufferings, our trials, our temptations, the things we go through are for the purpose of maturing us so that we can be prepared. Why? So that we can have a humility that allows us to take hold of the power of God and wield it as Jesus would as he modeled for us. Humility. Listen, listen, the the greatest Gift given to prepare us for ministry is not his power, but his humility. The greatest gift given to human beings in the midst of our trials and sufferings is humility, not power. That's the greatest gift that he gives. Do you know anyone who in their own power has made a mess of things? I know a bunch I'm not going to name them. That would be impolite. Humility. That's the greatest. In fact, I would say it's not the greatest gift. I would say the greatest power that he's given us is the gift of humility. So we have this great calling. God takes us through trials, temptations, and struggles for a purpose, right? So here are some takeaways that I want you to take this morning. Number one. Trials are necessary to mature us. Do we like them? Do we want them? No, that's silly. Do I go, yes, it's me through a difficult time? Never. 
God, in your divine knowledge of knowing what you're calling me to, do whatever it takes to prepare me, no matter what it is. I've talked to someone earlier who said, Steve, I'm almost scared to follow Jesus like that. And I said, then you're doing a lot better than 99% of Christians because most of them aren't willing to even consider that. Trials are necessary to mature us. James 1, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We will face these. It's part of our preparation. The second thing. We take it. We have been equipped with Jesus' power. We've been anointed. We've been set apart for the purpose of God, the divine calling of God, and He's given us His Holy Spirit, and He's given us power. We celebrate these things, right? Jesus gave God gave Jesus God gave Jesus a divine calling, supernatural power. After His baptism, we have the same calling and the same power. Are we? Listen. Are we living today in expectation of this power? Coursing through us. Are we? Like, I'll talk, listen, I'll talk to someone like this. It's, this, it's the fear. It's like there's so much fear with this. What if, what if it doesn't happen? What if I fail? What if, what if I'm made a mockery of? Well, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's part of it. John Wimber, I just I love this story. He, God called him. He's, he, he founded the Vineyard, Vineyard Church, the Vineyard Movement. And, and you've heard this, many of you, most of you have heard the story before. I just tell the gangs, it's so great. He said, he was, he was praying one day, and God said, I want you to begin to pray for healing for every single person that you meet. He's like, yes, God. Yes, right? And he said, so I began praying, and every single person I prayed for was not healed. It was amazing. He said, literally, for like an entire, he said, literally every time I prayed for 365 days, Every person was not healed. Most of them got worse. At day 366, I laid hands on a person, and then for a season, every single person I laid hands on got healed. Literally. I mean, our friend Mark Nicewander at Riverstone, who was great friends with John Wimber, knew him and talked, right? Just talked to him and talked. Just, he did some ministry with him, right? Just talked about his life. And this guy just believed and trusted God. We've been equipped with Jesus' power. There's a season of preparation, of testing, where God pulls out all the brokenness and reveals these fears, right? Which leads us to the third part, is we must be equipped with Jesus' humility, in the, in the context, of it, there, is a, there is a dynamic paradox that resides between power and humility. Francis Frangipan, I encourage you to all of his stuff, says this. Satan fears virtue. He is terrified of humility. He hates it. He sees a humble person and it sends chills down his back. His hair stands up when Christians kneel down. For humility is the surrender of the soul to God. I do nothing except that which I see my Father in heaven doing. I don't minister in my own power. I'm desperately in need of the grace, the infilling, the release, the baptism of God's Spirit on me. Because I can't do anything in my own strength. I live desperate for God. I live desperate for His presence. 
Our equipping with power demands humility. For without it, power will go to our heads and we will die the spiritual death of many who have gone before us who pursue power without an equal pursuit of Jesus's humility. They think less of themselves and make much of Jesus. So this is a really hard message to end. Like, how do you end that? Because you're going, but give me practical, Steve. Like, Randall's like, she's like, I want practical, I want practical, I want practical, right? And, and to be honest with you this morning, I feel like it's more of a declaration of truth. That I just want you to wrestle through a little bit, and, and, I would encourage, and we can talk about it more next week, and we will. But I want you to this morning, and Harvard, you can go ahead and come, and, and Jonathan, I want you to begin to wrestle through, one, When's the last time I saw the, like, the, the likeness of Jesus as fruit of my life? Right? It's really, I think it's, really, it's always really important to ask that. If Jesus is our model, how much, not does my life look like Jesus in the sense of like being really nice and loving to people. That's a huge part of it. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Does my life look like the fruit of the Spirit? Does it look like the same gifts he expressed in my life? Are they being expressed? Does it make sense like the fruit being expressed and the gifts being expressed? Do we see those? Like, we have stories to tell. I don't want a story from ten years ago. I have those. I want a story from this week. Of how you watch God do something supernatural through you to be Jesus to someone who was in need. You know what I mean in that, right? I don't mean that to make you feel bad about yourself. The great thing is you're in great company. Most of us don't have those, don't have those stories. <laughs> How's that make you feel? I'm not real sure, right? But we all have, like, that's where we are. And so the reality of this morning is... But it's okay because God's saying, but my spirit is in you. I want to empower you. I want to move through you. And the idea for us is very simple. Then this idea of calling. As calling today that Jesus is empowering us. And so, Father, we ask for humility. God, do this work of preparation. And some of us this morning just need to kind of do a work with Jesus of saying, I'm afraid of that. What if he doesn't do it? What if I look silly? Wow, I've been a little too much focused on myself. I failed over here and I'm afraid to step again. This person abused me with these gifts. I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to dive into them. I'm not even sure theologically I believe all of that. Well, instead of just saying you don't believe them, will not you ask Jesus what he thinks about that? Like I told someone earlier, go back and read the book of Acts taking off your theological lens that you believe for the last 30 years and read the book of Acts as if you were the, as the first time you've ever read it and see where you would land. Just see where you would land. Do a little bit of church history study and recognize the gifts of the Spirit have actually been active and moving with all of them in the time of St. Augustine and the early church fathers in the time of Constantine, right? All the way up. There's not been a season where the spiritual gifts have not been active. The movement of God's power. But there have been lots of seasons where there's been no humility among the church that impeded the flow of God's spirit in them. So this morning, you need to do a work of asking God to birth a divine humility of his leadership and his lordship and of our bowing down and many of you need this, this morning to do what's called a good Bible word of repentance. Saying, I am sorry 
that I, for my lack of belief, my lack of trust, my lack of faith, forgive my unbelief or help my, and then help my unbelief. Help me to believe. And let's just start this journey. I would say, practically speaking, there are those that you know who are more gifted and have greater knowledge. Then ask someone to lead you. I mean, ask for help. That's the first step of real active humility. You think someone knows more than you, then sit down and talk to them. And let's begin this journey into the fullness of God's calling. Because I'll be honest with you. Jesus will not be satisfied with vintage if we don't step into those. Knowing people will probably dislike us, they will probably leave along the way. And we will then love them. And we will continue to go after the fullness of Jesus. You respond to the Lord leads. First timers, if you came prepared to give, there are offering baskets here. We have